said? Amen. I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, wholehearted desire. Wholehearted desire. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. Second Chronicles chapter 25, verse 1. How many of you want a half-hearted employee working for you? I mean, anybody? No? Uh, what about a half? Some of you guys are in sports, so your kids are in the sports team. Don't you love when you have a half-hearted uh, teammate on your winning sports team? Man, you've got that half-hearted. Man, that's where you want them to be. Half-hearted teammate on the sports team. Baseball, basketball, whatever it is, we want our teammates to be half-hearted. Anybody? No. What about even mowing your yard? How many people want to hire a landscape person to mow your yard half-heartedly? Anybody? Why not? Why don't you want someone on your team, someone working for you, or someone doing a service for you half-heartedly? Why? You know you won't win. You know it's going to fall under the other people. You know it won't be done with excellence. You know you won't get the product that you're seeking because you know you need someone to do it wholeheartedly. How many know what I'm talking about? You don't want a half-hearted teammate on your team because they're kind of going to be pointless. They're going to not follow through. It's not going to be excellence. You're not going to win. And we want our job done right. The question is then for myself is, Heath, why do I settle for half-hearted Christianity? Why do I settle for half-hearted Christianity? I, we, will, we will fire someone who mows our yard half-heartedly, but when it comes to Christianity, we're okay with half-hearted Christianity. You know where this is going already. So here we go. You ready? Uh, wholehearted desire. I won't even hire a person to mow my yard half-heartedly, but I can be okay with half-hearted Christianity. Half-hearted Christians, it's been said, are the most miserable of people because there's no true joy, peace, or victory for them because there's just the illusion of it. Uh, they're not happy when we sacrifice for God. If we're half-hearted, we're not happy when we sacrifice for God because I don't get the spiritual benefit back for that sacrifice. I've only done it in the natural. I've only done it in the flesh, and there's nothing spiritual being produced in my life if I'm serving God half-heartedly. It was, you know, Timothy, uh, Paul was writing to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, don't you know that it's a, a good soldier? He doesn't uh, tangle himself with the affairs of the secular, the, the civilian life. He said it's a, it's a person who's an athlete who runs the race according to the rules with all he's got to win that race. And don't you know, like we said, it's just like a farmer who does the hard work to sow good seed into soil that gets the first produce back. It's a person who gives all they have in faith. It's a person who works wholeheartedly. It's a person who goes all in and goes the difference. It's not a half-hearted Christian that wins the race. It's not a half-hearted Christian who receives the produce of the best crop. It's not a half-hearted Christian soldier who is going to win the fight. Because Jesus said in Matthew 22, He said, You shall, this is the greatest commandment, you shall, what? Love the Lord your God with how much? All your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your Mind. By heart there, he means the inner self. Heart there is the, the inner self of you. It's your inner thoughts and inner feelings. And then he says, with all your soul. Soul is the psyche. It's the, uh, the part of you that is the breath. When you stop breathing, you're, you're done. Right? Everything has breath. Praise the The breath of life that's in you, that's your soul. That soul person, that's the inner breath of you. And he says, with all of your mind. And that word there is the inner thoughts and understanding, the way you think about life. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, love. 
love the Lord your God with all you've got. Love the Lord your God with mind, body, soul. Love Him with everything about you. Put it all into loving Jesus. Put it all into loving God. This is the greatest commandment, and it fulfills the rest of the works that, has, that God has for you to do. The problem is we can love, or the word agape, sacrificial love, I can love God, but not with all myself. I can follow God, but not 100%. You see, you can be a good person, but not a godly person. How many know that's true? You can be a good person, but not a godly person. You can be a person who lives rightly, but not a person who's right with God. You know that's true? You can live rightly, but you may not be right with God. You can do good things, but you may not be godly. They may not be God things. They may be good things, but they may not be God things. You can give God part of your heart. Why is that? It's because I have conflicting desires on the inside of me. One desire is for flesh. One desire is for spirit. Paul says that the spirit desires one thing, the flesh desires another. We have always gotten in trouble with our desires. You see, your desires in life, they can either bring you deliverance or they can bring you defeat. Go back to the garden. The very first desire, Eve saw the tree. And what is it? She saw that it was desirable to make one wise. It was desirable. She took and she desired it, and that desire brought her defeat and not deliverance. It, it desi she desired that thing, and she took, and they both ate, and they both fell. And then that desire didn't stay there. The next few verses says that she desired, the Lord said, the curse of this sin that you've done, Eve, is that your desire will be to rule over your husband, who was once equal with you. You were once one mind, one accord, one body, one spirit. You were completely perfectly united. But now the desire will be to break that united relationship. There will be a conflicting desire on the inside of you. And then goes on to Cain and Abel, and he says to Cain, he says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to master you. See, there's this desire for sin. It's always wanting to win against the Spirit. It always wants to win against the Word of God. It always wants to lead you to defeat. This is the curse of the fall. And I have that desire on the inside of me because I'm a son of Adam. And see, our fallen flesh desires more food, more drink, more money, more pleasure. And it's even the reason we have the 10th commandment. He says, you shall not covet desire. You shall not desire what your neighbor has. His spouse, his, uh, her, uh, her, her husband, or her, his wife, you shouldn't even desire their donkey. He says, you, you shouldn't desire something that's not given to you by God. Bring those desires under control. And Jesus says, how do you do that? He says, here's the greatest commandment of all the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Every desire that's within you, put it into the love of God. You know what? I can't do that. I tried. Doesn't work. I've tried with all my heart, everything I've got on the inside of me. Heath Harris has tried this religious life. Man, I have tried and tried and tried to love God with all my heart. I just can't. You know why? Because I have an old, corrupted heart. I've got an old heart. How do you do this? I can never wholly love God with all my heart because this heart is corrupted and it desires the wrong things. So how do you love God with all your heart? How do you avoid the dangers of half-hearted Christianity? How do you live the victorious, spirit-filled, God-desiring life? I'm going to give you three words today, and they are remove, resist, and remember. Remove, resist, 
And remember, let me give you this story, though. 2 Chronicles 25, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say amen. I'm going to give you a half-hearted story, tragedy, all right? This is going to be, whew, man, you're going to get excited about this one. I can feel it already. No. All right, let me tell you the story of Amaziah. After Solomon uh, died, the kingdom of Israel split, north and south. Seventh king is the king of Joash. Joash loved the Lord. He served God rightly, but not 100% rightly. Joash, as so long as the king Jedediah was, uh, Jehoadiah, sorry, was is alive, the, the high priest was alive, so long as the high priest was alive, Joash served the Lord. And he rebuilt the temple, put the Levites to work, and did a great job. And everybody thought, man, this guy's got promise, till the high priest died. Then the people come along and say, King, let's turn back to the idols. And so he did. He listened to their words, and he fell back into idolatry. And for that reason, a conspiracy came, defeat happened, and he was killed and not even buried in the kingdom, uh, uh, in the valley of the kings. He wasn't even buried with the rest of the kings. So at 25 years old, his son, Amaziah, rose to power. He's now the uh, eighth king of the southern kingdom of Judah. So you got the northern kingdom of Israel, which is often evil, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which is sometimes good. Now Amaziah is king. He showed promise, though. So he, we think, man, this guy's going to do right. He's going to do good. He's a good guy. He's not an evil guy. He's a good man. He's a good old boy. He loves God. He looks like he's loving his family. He's taking his family to church. He's paying his tithes. Come on, putting it in nowadays times, right? He's loving for the Lord. So one day he says, let's face off the Edomites. We're going to face off these Edomites. This is a longstanding fight. And so he says, we've not got a whole lot of people. So let me hire 100,000 mercenaries from the northern kingdom of Israel. So he goes and he pays the price for 100,000 soldiers from the northern kingdom. But God sends a prophet. And he says, do not take those men with you, those mercenaries, for you will surely lose in battle because God will not go with you. These people are pagan worshipers. They don't serve God. I can do better with just the few things you've got, and I will reward you more than what you've even lost by paying them. And so Amaziah says, I'm going to lose all this money. I've already paid for them. He says, walk away from the deal. The prophet Tells him, Amaziah says, fine, I'll do that. He goes, they fight with just the few men they've got. He goes, they win. But here's the catch. When he goes into Edom, because of desires in his heart, he sees all the idols of the land of the Edomites, and he brings them home. And he begins to worship the idols of Edom in the place of God. Prophet comes back to him again and says, boy, what are you doing? Don't you know better? It's God that's give you victory. If you do this, God's going to leave you and your kingdom. And he says, Psh, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, let's, he puts him out. He says, I will not listen to you. And the prophet says, because you've forsaken God, God will forsake you. And it wasn't long after that, in the pride of his own self, he says, I think I can even take on those, southern, uh, those northern boys. And he goes and he takes on the kingdom of Israel by himself without God, and he surely falls. And from that moment, the temple, uh, the Jerusalem wall was broke down. The enemy came in. They plundered the temple of God. They plundered the palace of the king. They took all the royal treasuries. They wished him away up to the northern kingdom. They even took his family. They took Amaziah himself and took hostages. And the Bible says from that day, man, his, sealed, his fate was sealed. He had forsaken God. And he ended up dying just like his daddy, according to a conspiracy now look what the Bible says about this wonderful guy, 2 Chronicles 25, 1 and 2. 
Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. Verse 2, he, Amaziah, did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He did right things in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. He was a good man, but not a godly man. He was a right-standing man, but not a righteous man. He did not do what everything within him, he did not serve the Lord. He was a half-hearted follower of God. I've looked at this verse and said, I want to put my name in there. Heath Harris did right in the sight of God, but not with a whole heart. Wouldn't you want that on your tombstone? Man, John, Jim, James, Susie, Kim, Mary, Stacy. They did right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. He failed to remove idols. He failed to resist temptation, and he failed to remember that God alone delivers. You see, there's a danger of half-hearted Christianity, and that danger is that a compromised heart, the walls around your spirit man will be broken down, and the enemy can come right in and plunder you. Just like the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, remember them? God says, I know your labors, but this one thing I have against you is you've lost your what? First love. I know all your works. I know all the right things you've done. You've been a good boy, a good girl. You've done all these right things. But I have one thing against you is that you don't love me firstly. You don't love me with all of your heart. You see, you can be a good person, but not a godly person. You can be a right-standing person, but not have right-standing with God. He says to that church, he says, You had a lampstand with me, but if you don't repent, I'll come remove that lampstand from its place. Your three words, remove, resist, remember. Number one is remove. Remove idols. If you had one desire to ask in prayer today, what would it be? Just honestly, I thought myself the this, this same question. Heath Harris if you had one desire in prayer, one thing you would ask from God, what would it be? You know what David said? He says, one thing I should ask from the Lord, and that should I seek, that I may, what, dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in His temple. I think if we were really honest with ourselves, if we were to ask one thing in God, we'd ask God, I wish I could win the lottery. Man, if I could just have enough money, I could pay off my debts, I could do great works in Africa and China, I could build churches, I could do all this kind of stuff, even pay for my in-laws. Man, I could do some stuff if I could God just win the lottery. Man, if I could just have a few more vacation days on my calendar, man, I could just really have the mindset that I need not to choke somebody at work every day. Man, if I could just have a few more days off to watch TV all day, man, that would really do me good in my life right now. Man, if I could just have somebody work on my marriage, if I could just, if I could just get her or him lined out, man, if I could just have uh, my kids just behave and, and not be stressing me out all the time, God, if you could just do that for me, things would be A-OK -okay right now. Man, if I could just have a better job right now, God, don't you know that I would do great things for you? I'd even come to church every Sunday, God, if I just had a better job. Man, that would be our one prayer, our one desire. God, if I could just have more peace. And, and God's looking at us and saying, man, what if your one desire was just to behold my beauty in my presence like David? Man, if I have one desire was just to love God more, my one desire was to give my whole heart to Him, He'd answer a prayer like that. Because you see, in 2 Kings 14, you'll see Kings and Chronicles are kind of like parallels. And look what it says in 2 Kings 14, I think it's on the screen, about Amaziah. 
He says, he did, uh, 2 Kings 14, verse 3, Amaziah did what was right. Somebody say right. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like his father David. His actually great, 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 great grandfather David. David's one thing desire, behold the beauty of the Lord, meditate in his temple. Man, if I could just dwell in the presence of God, that's my one desire. He says, he did right, but it wasn't like David right. He did good, but it wasn't like David good. He did things rightly, but not really rightly, because look what he says. He acted really in the accordance and everything like his father Joash has done. He wasn't like his great-great-great-great-grandpappy, but he was more like his daddy. And his daddy started well, but he didn't finish well. You see, because in verse 4 it says the reason, only the high places were not eliminated. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. His failure as king was not to lead the kingdom of God back to the true king, which is God. His, he didn't, he, he had the temple going, he had the sacrifices going, he had the Levites going, the trumpets there, the altar and the incense, he had the cows coming in, the sheep, he had it all set up and it looked like everything was going right. But see over here in the corner in the secret places were other higher places. All across Israel were these huge totem poles where you could come and sacrifice an offering to another God. Man, if the offering to God didn't work, well, just go over here. You didn't get enough rain from the, the God. He's not hearing your prayer over here. Let's just go over here and find some more peace over here. Let's just cover all our bases. See, I've got my God A, but I've got God B, C, and D too. He doesn't have my whole heart. He's got a piece of my heart. He's got 51.765% of my heart. But over here, I'm really trusting in my bank account to get me through my hard times. I'm really trusting that my boss really likes me to get me through my hard times. I'm really trusting that my spouse to fulfill all my needs. I'm really trusting that I can live vicariously through my children and all their accolades to fulfill an empty hole that no one else is filling on the inside of me. Come on, I'm preaching now. I'm really looking for that TV time at the end of the week to get me through so I don't go back to my old habits and start drinking and smoking and doing alcohol again. I just need another few more vacation days to trust my life into so that I can leave my problems in Gina and go get away from those problems and then I can just have enough away time that I can handle another week with these problems I have. Come on. Is it true? How many gods do we have? How many places in our hearts do we trust in those things to really satisfy? You see, it was a faithlessness in Amaziah's heart to believe that God couldn't supply every need that Amaziah had. He said, I'll let people have other places they can go to to find the true peace they need, the true power they need, the true provision they need, that true longing on the inside of them. They can fill that at other places too. Until those places one day were higher than God. You see, you can have all sorts of right works, sir or ma'am, and still not be right with God. You can have all kinds of good in your life and still not be godly because God doesn't want your labors. He wants your love. You want salvation if you want a life in the Spirit, if you want deliverance over sin, you want the promise of eternal life. You have to remove anything that keeps you from a God-first love. What place in your heart is higher than the place that God has in your heart? Let me be honest with myself. I've been struggling. I'm like, God, I don't want to preach this because I know I've got struggles. I'm not perfect. I've got things every day I have to go and say, God, is that place higher than you? Have I really looked at that place and said, God, I, I know I've been looking to this person or this thing or this situation, and I've really not fully given it to you. 
God, is there any towers in my life that I go to when I don't feel like you're hearing me? Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, to get out of idols, remove idols, number one, was to rend your old heart. He wanted him to rend his heart. Remember what Joel said in chapter 2, verse 12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. Return to me with all. Somebody say all. All of your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Verse 13, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love. Rend your heart, not your religious works. God doesn't want religious works. He wants you to rend your heart. Why? Because Ezekiel said he would look to them and say, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. Not like that old stony heart that you had, but it'll be a heart of flesh. It would be God's heart. He says, then you'll want to obey my commandments. You'll want to obey my law because I'll put a new heart on the inside of you. You know that heart is? That's Jesus's heart. Man, I can never fully love God with all my heart. It's impossible for me because my old heart is Adam's heart. But when I ask God, you put a new heart on the inside of me. I rend my old heart and I receive a new heart. There's rend, then there's receive. I receive the heart, not of me, but of Jesus. Jesus is the one who perfectly obeyed the Father, who perfectly loved the Father. And God said, I'll share his heart with you. I'll put his heart in you. It'll be his feelings and his desires and his natures. And I just have to receive that by faith. Believe that God, if if I rend my heart, I'll receive a new heart. I'll receive Jesus' heart on the inside of me. But I've got to go to every higher place in my heart and tear it down. Tear it down. Believe God, you're going to give me a better heart. That's number one. I just want to give you this verse. Romans, if you're struggling this area, Romans 5, 5. You say, God, how am I going to love you? Paul says, don't you know that the love of God is poured out on us through the Holy Spirit? You see, you can't love God with your effort and yourself and your flesh and your knowledge. You can't love God that way. But you can love God through the Holy Spirit. It's His love. It's kind of weird. His love is loving Him through you. He gives you the Christ-like love through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. And He begins to love Himself through you. He's going to start helping you love Him better through the Holy Spirit who's been poured out on you through the love of God. I need God to love himself through me. So I need to rend my old heart, get a new heart. Number two is resist temptation. Resist temptation. Like Amaziah, so many Christians start well, but we don't finish well. The flesh desires things against the spirit. We just said that. And the spirit can give you a new heart, but you still have got the old heart that's got to be crucified daily. If not, what Jesus said comes true in Mark chapter 4. He says, the worries of the world the deceitfulness of riches and the desires, there's that word again, desires for other things enter in, choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So it can happen. You can start well, but not finish well. You can begin this life rightly, but not wholly. You can start good, but not in godly. He says there are desires. If you don't cut them out of your life, if you don't manage your desires and keep a whole heart, if you don't resist temptation, these things can come and choke out the word of God in your life. That's failure number two for Amaziah. 
He listened to the prophet the first time, but when he went out there, and there was a secret area of Amaziah's heart, because he at home, in his home life, had secret sin. He had secret areas that were higher than God. When he went into enemy territory, he coveted what the enemy had. No doubt those idols were gold and huge and spectacular, and put all the money those high priests did under those fake foreign gods. And when he saw it, that because there was a seed of sin in his heart, it grew and gave birth to temptation and he brought that thing home. He brought the enemy's thing home. He brought the thing that he was there to defeat. He brought it home and he set it up in his heart in his house. You see, if I don't deal with those things in my heart, in my prayer life, how am I going to deal with that thing in the world when it faces me head on? If I don't deal with my anger in the prayer closet, it's sure to come out and devour me in the break room. Are you with me? If I don't deal with the faithlessness of my heart that I need God's economy and a kingdom economy, when I come to see the bills and the bills are coming in, I'm not going to be able to handle it in faith. I've got to deal with the secret things in prayer to resist temptation. Remember what James said? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will, what? Flee from you. But you have to submit to God first in prayer if you want to resist the devil. I've got to submit my desires to God. You see, there's a voice, the temptation that says one thing. The temptation says this. He's whispering. He says, hey, you can do this by your own strength. Don't worry. You'll handle it. There's a spirit of adultery that whispers and says, they'll appreciate you more. They'll satisfy you more. Stop sacrificing for them so much. There's a spirit of greed that says, cut corners and work longer and gain more and live and give less. And there's a spirit of pride that says, tell somebody what you did. Oh, man, you look good. You did good. Man, in their praise, their praise is going to feel good. Boast. There's a whisper gently of the Holy Spirit, like in the cave with Elijah. It just comes as a gentle whisper, and here's what the Holy Spirit says. God's not going to go with you if you go that way. The Holy Spirit begins to preach to you, James. Resist and submit to God. He says, God's going to give you the desires of your new heart if you trust in Him. Paul says the Holy Spirit will always provide a way of escape. He'll never give you more temptation than you can handle, but He always has an open door for you to get out of it. So Paul says, I'm bringing every thought captive to the captivity of Christ. I'm resisting those things. I trust that God is speaking in the soft, gentle whispers every morning. He's in my prayer closet waiting for me to talk with him. He's going to prepare me for every trap the enemy has laid before me. But I've got to learn to submit and resist. Like Amaziah, you're going out into the world every day that's an idol-worshiping world. And you've got to make up your mind not to bring idols back into your heart's home. You've got to make up your mind not to war this thing through the flesh, but through the Spirit. I've got to remember that Christ has already won the battle, and I'm not doing this thing apart from Him. I'm going to do this thing through Christ. It's in Christ and through Christ. Christ has already won the battle. And I can't go fight a battle I could never win. I've got to come and be in Him and find myself hidden in Christ, to abide in Christ and walk in Christ and do this life through Christ, not by the flesh and my own efforts, but by the Spirit. And I can never do that if I don't have a prayer life. And I can never do that if I'm not reading the Bible every day. I can never do that if I'm not doing life by the Holy Spirit and not in my natural means. 
Christ says, pray and resist temptation. He says, fast, you'll overcome enemy strongholds. He says, love God through an obedient heart. Paul says, put on the full armor of God, which is salvation and faith and righteousness and truth and gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit. None of that said, try harder. None of that said, go to church more. None of that said, tithe better. None of that said, do anything by your own self by dressing better and not going here and not going there and changing the channels. It says, submit to God, get in the Spirit of God, pray fast, weep, whatever you've got to do, get a hold of His garment, and He's going to give you everything you need to get through this life and win. Resist temptation. Lastly is this is remember. Remember God alone delivers. The third failure from Amaziah, he, number one, he remember he had forgotten that it was a first love to remove idols. Secondly, he forgot to resist temptation. He brought it home. And thirdly, he forgot to remember that God alone was the one who delivered to begin with. Remember that God alone delivers. Amaziah was plundered for his pride. He forsook God, and God forsook him. And so when he thought he could do the next battle, he thought, just like they did on that, uh, in the story of Joshua, when the man had hidden it in his tent, they thought, man, we could take this battle. We can go up this hill. They're just a little bitty people in Ai. They got, we got them. We can do Jericho. We can surely handle Ai. But God wasn't with them. There were secret things under the tent. Same is true for us. I got to remember that it's God alone that delivers. I don't care how big the battle is. God's got to be the one that fights it for me. God's got to go with me in this. God's got to go with me in my marriage. He's got to go with me in my finances. He's got to go with me in my way of parent. He's got to go with me in my marriage. He's got to be the one fighting my battles. And I'll never win through natural means. I only win through the Spirit. So when, uh, the, one of the, maybe the saddest verse of this story, 2 Chronicles 25, verse 27 it says that he was defeated really the very moment, the very day he turned from the Lord. The very day he turned from the Lord, a conspiracy began against him. The enemy began to plunder his defeat, to plan his defeat. Before he ever took a step, he in his heart made a decision to turn from the Lord. And his defeat began that very moment. That moment, the walls were broken down. God, the enemy came in and plundered inside of his heart. All the treasures that he valued were taken away. Even his family was taken captive. You see, if you're not guarding, if we're not guarding our heart, if we're not instilling that God alone is the one who brings victory, the enemy comes in, our, finds our heart unwalled. We come into that place, and the enemy just comes right in, and he takes all the gifts God's given you, the treasures that you've put your heart in. Jesus says, store up your treasures every, up in heaven, but wherever you're putting your heart, that's where you're putting your treasures. It's kind of lying in hand, hand and uh, your heart and treasures are going to go together. He treasured all this earthly stuff, and all that earthly stuff was robbed from him. Maybe there's things that God is allowing to take out of you. He's just, he's, there's things falling apart in your life. Maybe God's trying to get awakening and say, hey, rend your heart. Come back to me. You've been storing up treasures in the wrong place. I want to allow all that stuff to be taken. It's because that's the consequence. Sin has consequences. There are things that God is wooing you back. Remember, God loved this man. He sent prophet after prophet, warning after warning, because God said, I want you to be the king that I want you to be. I want you to lead my people in victory. I want to bless you and prosper you like I did David. I want the temple to be glorious. I want people and nations to come in and see the light of my glorious presence. I want you to win, and God wants you to win. He wants your marriage to win. He wants your economy to win. He wants your family and your kids to win. But if we're not having a whole heart... If we're not removing idols, if we're not resisting temptation, if we're not remembering that God alone brings deliverance, if we love and serve self rather than God, 
If we fail to remember his word, God disciplines those he loves, the Bible says. You'll find the walls of defense destroyed. You'll find your earthly treasures been broken and fading and stolen. You'll find your family's been torn apart and taken captive by sin. You may even find yourself one day spiritually dead. But I remember that it's God alone who delivers. My victory is in Christ and Christ alone. Victory in Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Psalms 145 verse 19 says, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry and save them. Let me tell you this, and then we're close. This weekend, Beth and I uh, went up to Little Rock to pick up our kids from her parents, and we stopped at this mountain, Pinnacle Peak or whatever. It's a thousand foot in the air, and we decided, oh, we still feel young, wrong, uh, and decided to climb up this mountain. And I thought it was a hiking trail. It was a climbing trail. And so we got up about halfway and began to wonder, is this thing worth it or not? I'm not sure because it was boulder over boulder and climbing and, you know, slipping and uh, trying to wedge your foot in the right place to get up there. And uh, we thought we took the easy trail. Maybe we were wrong. But we got to the top. And, man, I'm drenched. I'm not a sweater, but I was drenched. And we're going up and all these, you know, fit muscle people are just jogging. And we're just, like, looking. I feel like I'm 70 years old just trying to get up to this thing. And, and we're climbing. Climbing and climbing and climbing, and finally we get to the top, thousand plus feet in the air, and it is beautiful. It's beautiful. And then we pass out and rest and, you know, take a drink of water and look at the beauty of God's creation and look and say, it was worth it to go through all that to get up to here, to see the rest and the peace and the beauty of God, to see His work and what He's done, and just say, wow, man, that journey was worth it. You see, in your life, this life is called a life of faith, and faith has to have some works. You have got to decide this journey is going to be worth it, and I'm going to make whatever sacrifice is painful. It's rough to sacrifice self, to be selfless, to endure this life of problems and tribulations, but you put one step in front of the other, one step in front of the other, and believe that at the top of this thing, there is peace with God. There is rest forevermore. There is a beauteous creation that He has made that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor entered into the heart of man. You pictures don't do it justice, y'all. There's something about getting to the top. But let me tell you something. I didn't create that place. I can't get up there and boast and say, wow, I made this mountain. I made this beautiful thing. It was all my... No, my works may have got me there. My effort and faith may have got me there, but I didn't make that mountain. I didn't make that journey. I didn't make peace. I didn't make love. I didn't make that, that thing, that experience was all made by God. That top of that mountain was always there waiting for me. Peace was always there. Love was always there. Joy was always there. Beauty was always there. I just had to have the faith and the grit to get up to the top to receive what was already made for me. Are you hearing me today? There is a wholehearted blessing for a person who gives all their heart and effort into God. Your effort is fallen short. You are beyond uh, saving in your flesh, but God has given His heart in your heart. He's given you a measure of faith. He has put the Holy Spirit within you if you're a believer, and He will sure that you will get to the top even when you don't feel like you're going to make it. You just trust in His strength to supply your need, but you've got to have faith to believe this journey is worth every sacrifice. 
It's worth laying down TV for prayer. It's worth laying down rated R movies for better movies. It's worth laying down my language for better language. It's worth laying down all these things that the world values and idols itself in to say, God, you are my first worship. You are my first love. You are my first God. And you are my God, my only God. And I believe that when I holistically worship you, give all of myself and my effort to you, I'll find a peace I didn't purchase. I'll find a love I didn't earn. I'll find rest that I could never have found apart from you. You have got to believe that when you lay your life down to work, to toil, to weep, to tarry, to labor in prayer, God has a mountaintop experience for you. See, the greatest mountain that was ever walked up was a mountain called Calvary. And Jesus Christ and God the Father walked to that place to purchase a place for you and Him to meet. I hope you hear me today. You've got to have wholehearted desire for God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. If you seek me with all your heart. Father, I know my heart can never seek you with all that it has. I need a new heart. Heath Harris needs a new heart. Lord, I know in this room, many of us could say the same. We need a new heart. We need to rend the old heart and receive a new heart. Jesus, you are not here to condemn. You are here to call us and beckon us to a love relationship with you because you have paid the price for that mountaintop experience. You have paid the price for our provision. And we've just got to believe it in faith. We've got to believe it, that the sacrifice is worth the journey. It's worth you, Lord. You're here today. I'm not going to have a formal altar call. I really felt like the Lord just said, Heath, just open it up. And you need to respond the way you need to respond. Today, maybe you need to stand and worship. Maybe you need to bow and kneel at your seat. Maybe you need to come find a place at the front. But Jesus says, all who are hungry, come. All who are thirsty, come. Take and drink freely from the waters of life. They never run dry. You've been doing it by your own effort. Come. Come and receive.